welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. This year, I have the privilege of getting to work here as an intern, and it's been really such a joy to get to know so many of you and just to spend my time each week learning with you guys and sharing the gospel on this campus. So I'm really thankful to be here. And if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet, I would love if you come and introduce yourself to me. I would love to get to know you. I'm excited to talk about Acts chapter 5 tonight. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you're using the BSM Bibles, you can find Acts 5 on page 631. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one with you whenever we're done tonight. That's our gift to you, and we want you to have your own copy of God's Word. Before we dive into Acts, I want to ask you, have you ever lost something or given something up for what you believe? Have you lost friends? Have you lost the approval of family members? Have you lost your reputation for the sake of something you believe? And if so, what comforted you during that time? I want you to keep those things in mind as we go through this passage. We're going to read about people who risked everything for what they believe. And we'll learn what brought them comfort and even joy through that. You might remember our theme verse for the book of Acts, which comes from chapter 1, verse 8. These are the last words of Jesus that we have recorded before he ascends into heaven. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So a few weeks ago, we read about the celebration of Pentecost in chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit does come upon the apostles, just like Jesus had promised. Because of that, Peter was empowered to preach, and we see many people respond. So the church starts to grow rapidly. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he came with a sound that was like a rushing wind and what looked like tongues of fire. And both of those things symbolized God's presence with his people. This imagery of the wind and the fire is something that we see through the whole Bible. In the book of Exodus, we see God's presence in the burning bush when he speaks to Moses. We see God lead the nation of Israel out of their bondage to the Egyptians in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We read about God descending on Mount Sinai in fire in Exodus 19. And in the book of Numbers, that same cloud and fire rest over the tabernacle throughout the Israelites' journey to the Promised Land. We could talk about more examples if we had time, but all of those things are pointing to the fact that God wants to dwell with his people. And starting in Acts 2, instead of God dwelling with his people through a tabernacle or a temple, now his presence is inside everyone who trusts and follows him through the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul says that Christians are a temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians. So this theme of God dwelling with his people through the Holy Spirit is really significant to the book of Acts. It's because of the Holy Spirit that the believers are filled with fullness to proclaim the gospel. It's because of the Holy Spirit living in them that they're unified as a church. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that the apostles are able to perform miracles. For example, they heal a crippled beggar in chapter 3. And it's because of the Holy Spirit in them that they will have comfort and perseverance and even joy in the face of persecution. So chapter 4 in the book of Acts starts a new pattern that we're going to see repeated over and over. So far, we've only read about people being receptive to the gospel. But starting in chapter 4, we start to see a new response. Opposition to the gospel and the persecution of believers. Now, it might be tempting to think that opposition to the gospel is somehow throwing off God's plan or that it's going to ruin the witness of the apostles. 
But what we're going to see is actually the opposite. The gospel continues to spread, and the Holy Spirit continues to fill believers with boldness to share the gospel, even in difficult and dangerous circumstances. So this is the main idea that I hope you walk away with tonight. If you're taking notes, this would be a good thing to write down. God uses opposition to accomplish his purposes, and obedience to God brings joy in any circumstance. God uses opposition to accomplish his purposes, and obedience to God brings joy in any circumstance. So the first opposition we read about happens in chapter 4, after Peter and John heal the crippled beggar, and it came from the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the religious leaders, and they had lots of power. They didn't like that the apostles were proclaiming the resurrection. So they arrested them and put them on trial before the high court. This court was called the Sanhedrin, and if you have a chance later, you should look at John 18, starting in verse 12. John 18 describes Jesus' trial with this same high court before his crucifixion. So Peter and John, the same guys that we're reading about in Acts, were there with Jesus as he was brought before the Sanhedrin. And that's where we read about Peter denying Jesus. So Peter claims that he doesn't know him. Well, now in Acts 4, Peter is the one on trial before the court. And we read in verse 8 that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now giving him boldness to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. This court has the power to punish or even kill him. But because of the Holy Spirit, the same Peter who was once so scared that he denied Jesus is now filled with boldness to tell them about Jesus. He says that through Jesus, the crippled man was healed. And through Jesus, people can have salvation. He tells them in verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And the court really has nothing to say to that. They see the evidence of the healed man before them, and they're astonished at the boldness of Peter and John. So they threaten them, and they warn them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Instead of backing down from sharing the gospel, guess what the believers do? They actually pray for more boldness. They don't pray for the opposition to be removed or to lighten up. Instead, they prayed for the boldness to take on the opposition. I think a lot of times we completely avoid opposition to begin with. We don't speak up in case we offend anyone. We avoid situations where people might not be receptive to the gospel. I know I'm guilty of both of those. But here we see that even after opposition, the believers pray for continued boldness. And God answers that prayer. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. At the beginning of chapter 5, we see a different type of opposition. This is an opposition from within the church with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, who deceived the other believers. We don't have time to talk about it tonight, but I'd encourage you to read it on your own when you have time. We learn from that passage that God cares both about the unity and the holiness of his people. And this brings us to our passage for tonight. I wanted to give some background because tonight's passage makes the most sense if you understand what's come before. The book of Acts is historical narrative, so it's meant to be read as a whole. Remember our main idea for tonight, that God uses even opposition to accomplish his purposes, and obedience to God brings joy in any circumstance. So let's pick up reading in chapter 5, starting with verses 12 through 16. If you're new to reading the Bible, the chapters are the big numbers, and the verses are the small numbers. Starting in verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, 
so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So God uniquely gifted the apostles through the Holy Spirit to, per to perform miracles, similar to some of the miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry on earth. So we talked about Peter and John healing the lame beggar in chapter 3, and in chapter 4, verse 30, when the believers are praying for boldness, they also pray for God to grant them the power to perform signs and miracles. So the section we just read in chapter 5 is an answer to that prayer. The purpose of the miracles was for people to know that God was with the apostles and that the message they were preaching was God's message. The miracles confirmed God's message and they served as physical signs that pointed to the greatest miracle of all, which is salvation. And we see that happening here. Verse 14 says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. In response to the miracles, we see a similar reaction to what we saw in chapter 4, but things are escalating. This time, all of the apostles are thrown into prison and eventually brought before the court, and they'll actually be punished with a beating. Let's pick up with verses 17 through 21. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So the Sadducees realize that the apostles are gaining popularity and influence. And because of that, the Sadducees are losing their power and their control over the people. So out of their own pride and jealousy, they used their political power to arrest all the apostles and throw them in prison. But look what happens in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So we see again that even through opposition, God still accomplishes his purposes. He sends an angel to free them and to command them to keep sharing the gospel. He doesn't tell them to wait until things calm down or to only proclaim the parts of the gospel that they think people will want to hear. But he says, speak to the people all the words of this life. And the apostles obey. Some of them have been thrown into prison more than once by now and they're at great risk for their own safety. But we read that they're free during the night, and at daybreak, they're back in the temple teaching. Let's see how the Sadducees respond in the second half of verse 21 through verse 32. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, that's the Sanhedrin that we read about earlier, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We see here that Peter and the apostles take every opportunity to make Jesus known. Even as they're being confronted by the high court, they take advantage of the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in miracles, and in particular, they didn't believe in resurrection. So when Peter accuses them of killing Jesus and he witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, it makes sense that they get angry. Look at their response in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So their immediate reaction was to punish them with a death sentence. Only one member of the council spoke against this. Look at verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Gamaliel was a very highly respected man. He was one of the most distinguished rabbis in Israel, and he was actually the teacher of Saul, who later encounters Jesus and becomes Paul. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Gamaliel reminds the Sanhedrin that if this movement was not of God, it would collapse. So he gives them two examples. He mentions Theodos and Judas the Galilean, who both gathered a group of followers, but then they died. And when they died, their followers were scattered and the movement came to nothing. Gamaliel has the wisdom to know that if the apostles are starting another movement not backed by God, then it's sure to fail. The best thing they can do in that case is to leave it alone. But if it is truly from God, there's no point in the council trying to stop them because they won't be able to overthrow God's plan. So Gamaliel uses this logical argument with the council and persuades them for the most part. It calmed them down from wanting to kill the apostles, but it didn't stop them from assaulting them. In verse 40, they still beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus before letting them go. So I want you guys to notice how the persecution is escalating. In chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested and told not to speak in the name of Jesus. Here in chapter 5, all of the apostles were arrested and beaten and told not to speak in the name of Jesus. In two weeks, we'll read about the first person in the early church to die for proclaiming the gospel, Stephen. But remember our main idea. God is using even this persecution to spread the gospel and to accomplish his purposes. So think back to our theme verse, Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In chapter 5, verse 28, what does the high priest accuse the apostles of? He says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. So we already see Jesus' promise being fulfilled through the obedience of the disciples. The gospel has spread throughout Jerusalem. 
And we're going to see that the death of Stephen will force the church to scatter to the surrounding areas. Stephen dies at the end of chapter 7, and at the beginning of chapter 8, it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Do those places sound familiar? Judea and Samaria? Jesus said that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The persecution that the believers are experiencing is not a surprise to God. He's using it to fulfill his promise to spread the gospel to all nations. And the apostles recognize that. Let's look at their response after they've been beaten by the council and told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can give believers patience, faith, and joy in suffering for Jesus. The apostles understood that Jesus himself suffered so that we would live. Every one of us has rebelled against God. Each one of you have chosen rebellion. You have chosen to rule your own life instead of living in the way that God has said is best. And that self-rule is what we call sin. And because of your sin, you deserve the worst punishment imaginable. You and I deserve God's judgment and anger against us forever. And there's nothing that any of us can do to remove that punishment that we deserve. We're powerless to save ourselves from God's wrath. But because of his love for us, God made a way to still judge sin, yet save us. Jesus, who is God, was born as a baby. He lived a perfect life on earth, fully God and fully human. He's the only one who has ever lived perfectly. He lived without breaking God's standard, and he was willingly crucified on a cross. On the cross, he not only died a physical death, but he took on God's wrath. We deserve that death, and we deserve that wrath, but Jesus took it as a substitute in our place, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And we just read about the apostles proclaiming this truth to the Sanhedrin. In verse 30, Peter says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Through trusting in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, God forgives our sin. And when he looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus instead. And we receive the Holy Spirit and become witnesses to this good news. Just like the apostles who said in verse 32, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. In the book of Ephesians, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as a seal or a guarantee of our inheritance. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us is a promise that we belong to God. One day Jesus will return, and we read that promise in Acts 1. And those who have trusted and followed him will spend eternity praising him and enjoying his presence. So right now we live in an in-between time. Through Jesus, we can have a restored relationship with God now. We can be empowered by the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit transforms us now to look more and more like Jesus. But the Holy Spirit in us also points us to the promise that one day we will see Jesus face to face. If we've trusted in him, we will live free from sin and brokenness in that day. And this is what helps us to endure now. Until that day, we get to be a part of witnessing to other people that these things are true. 
and we can continue to have hope no matter how others respond. The apostles believe what Jesus told them in John chapter 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The apostles know that it's because they've been chosen and saved by God that they're experiencing persecution. Jesus suffered so that we would live, and we're called to suffer so that other people might hear the gospel and live. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. When Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross, he suffered the worst punishment in history without deserving it. But he was looking to the future promise and the joy of the salvation of people from every nation. If we trust and follow Jesus, we become united with him. So that means we will experience suffering and persecution in some way. It might not be getting thrown in prison. It might not be getting beaten or dying, although there are Christians who experience those things around the world. But if we are boldly and truthfully proclaiming the gospel, there will be people who oppose us. But we have the greatest joy imaginable of knowing God. And we know that this life is not all that there is. We look forward to a day when we'll spend eternity with Jesus. And when he really is our treasure, we are able and willing to suffer anything for his sake. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Peter as we wrap things up. 1 Peter is near the back of your Bible. It's after Hebrews and James. If you're using the BSM Bible, it's on page 703. And we're going to be in chapter 4. So Peter, who we just read about, is the one who wrote this letter. So we know that he has a first-hand experience of suffering for the name of Jesus. I want you to read what he writes here to encourage other believers who are being persecuted. So this is 1 Peter, chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's a joy to know that we belong to Jesus and to obey him, even when that means suffering. As you go to your connect groups, I hope you have a chance to consider whether or not you have trusted in Jesus for salvation. And if you've never done that, I pray that tonight would be the night that you place your trust in him. Um, and for those who have, I hope you're encouraged to hold firmly to the gospel and not to back down from sharing it with others, even when that means suffering your reputation or losing a friendship or any kind of suffering. Obedience to God always brings the greatest joy even when that means suffering in this lifetime. So pray with me, and then the band will lead us in one more song before we dismiss to connect groups. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you for taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can know you and enjoy your presence forever. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live in us and for the privilege that it is to make your name known on this campus and everywhere else that you've placed us. 
I pray for every person here that you would give us boldness to speak the truth of the gospel in love. Help us to take every opportunity to share the gospel with others. Give us joy that's rooted in who you are and help us to persevere in faith in every circumstance. I pray for our time in connect groups, that the discussions would be helpful as we think about applying these truths in specific situations in our lives. You're good and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.